everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. We are finally back. We've had a full weekend of basketball after the All-Star break, and we have had some great performances, as well as some first-time appearances from big-time players who got traded to their new teams, like James Harden and even a Spencer Dinwiddie performance. But the headline of the entire weekend is James Harden has made his first two appearances in his 76ers uniform, and he has looked as good as advertised on the offensive end. Holy shit. That team is lethal on the offensive end. What Joel Embiid and James Harden are able to do in a pick and roll is downright scary. I mean, I have been very well known to not necessarily be the biggest James Harden fan, but on the offensive end, you got to give them credit where credit is due. They are sinking very early on. Now the competition necessarily hasn't been the greatest. Timberwolves and the Knicks, sorry about that. But from an offense perspective, he is great at running the pick and roll right now. Joel Embiid looks like a man unleashed. He has never had this much space as an offensive player, and as well as and really underutilized or like player in this situation is Tyrese Maxey for how fast he is and what he's able to do on the offensive end. He's now the third option. He's officially taken that role from Tobias Harris. Tyrese Maxey has now one-on-one matchups every single time down the floor. And with his quick first step and his speed and how he's been able to shoot the jump shot early on. I mean, you saw that quick step back sidestep against the Knicks this past weekend. He looked incredible. I mean, the Sixers' 125-109 win over the Knicks was just fantastic. It was a full performance from their big three, which is now fully taken form. And it's really unfortunate because Tobias Harris looks absolutely dreadful. I mean, he looks like an absolute crybaby out there. He got teed up because he didn't get a foul call. He looks like a fish out of water in this free-flowing offense. James Harden swinging the ball. Maxie swinging the ball. Joel Embiid swinging the ball. Thibel swinging the ball. And then it gets into Tobias Harris's hands, and he takes three jab steps, two dribbles, backs into an opponent, and takes a step back and bricks it. He is 2-for-8 and 2-for-9 from the field in his first two games, averaging seven points and a tech, and just looks just really bad. And when they start getting bigger competition and better competition on the defensive end, when they start versing the Celtics, when they start versing players like the Cavaliers, Chicago Bulls, and the Milwaukee Bucks, it's going to come down to hardcore physical defense, and they're going to start to slow down James Harden. They're going to start to slow down Joel Embiid as much as they can. Obviously, it's physically impossible to stop those two on the offensive end, but the role players are going to, have to step up, and Tobias Harris is going to have to accept his role as the fourth option. And if he's not willing to do that, He's going to be the, sca- the scapegoat. I mean, you already saw how he reacted to Booze early on this season when uh, when Ben wasn't playing, and he looked just very uncomfortable, and it just didn't look good as a Philly fan to be to watch that. And he needs to figure the hell out if they're going to have a chance to win a championship. Harden's going to do everything he can on the offensive end. I'm very interested to see what he looks like on the defensive end. He takes a lot of risks. He took a lot of risks in that Knicks game. Got five steals. All the power to him. But it's going to take a lot more than that to really show up on the defensive end and what that looks like when he starts versus the elite elite tier of the Eastern Conference. Also, I'm going to give a little credit real quick. I know he didn't have necessarily the greatest game against 76ers, but he's looked smooth as of late. R.J. Barrett, man. R.J. Barrett is doing whatever he can to carry the Knicks because they have looked dreadful. We're going to get into the Knicks a little later in the podcast, but R.J. 
He's left-handed. He's getting into the paint. He's attacking James Harden. He was attacking anybody. Joel Embiid, Willie Collestein, whoever was in that paint, he was going full force ahead of steam into this. And all the power to him, man. I mean, for the whole month of February, he took advantage and has really started to put his name out there as maybe he's the guy in New York with Julius Randle having a full-on come-back-to-Jesus moment this year of really being just not a good player and not being efficient. And maybe last year was the outlier, but RJ Barrett averaging 28, six and four in the month of February, shooting 39% from three. And the biggest part about RJ was what he stepped up is on the defensive end. You know, Tibbs really hasn't gotten a lot out of the younger guys this year, but one thing he really has done is stepped up RJ and really had him take the responsibility of, Hey, you're six, seven, two fifteen, go out there and guard James Harden. Go out there and guard the opposing team's best player every single game. And he has learned a lot from this, from the defensive end. I think it's actually helped him step up on the offensive end because you see how he's starting to read the game. He's starting to slow it down. He's hitting his shots a little better. He's taking his time and the opportunity. He has missed a lot of free throws. You saw that 46-point explosion that he had against Miami Heat over the weekend as well. He missed eight free throws. If he starts to get himself down and starts to get comfortable in the offense, R.J. Barrett could be the guy for the New York Knicks. Now, moving on to the Mavs versus the Warriors. Mavs win 107-101. I love watching this game. I love watching Luka Doncic, and who the hell doesn't love watching Steph Curry? It doesn't matter who you are a fan of. You just want to watch Steph Curry play basketball. Uh, Warriors got off to a 19-point lead midway through the second half, and the Mavs with a very unlikely lineup. So obviously we know that the Dallas Mavericks traded Chris Osborzingis and they got Davis Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie. They ran a really quirky lineup, which in, I guess, the modern NBA, it's really not quirky at all. Uh, they were running out Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Reggie Bullock, Luka Doncic, and Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, Finney-Smith's, you know, not small, 6'10", 225, 230 at the most. Uh, Reggie Bullock's about 6'6", six 6'7". Six, six, Luke is obviously tall, 6'8". Then you have an undersized point guard in Jalen Brunson. And then Dinwiddie's about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, but it was interesting. They, that was the five that really hit this stride and broke out that 19-point deficit. And Dinwiddie's looked smooth. I mean, Luka Doncic, you know exactly what you're going to get. But I think this, maybe what Kid was really trying to do was trying to get multi-dimensional, multi-positional basketball moving and not forcing the ball to a player like Chris Osprezingas where maybe he really only has the option to run in the post and he really wasn't being effective as a three-point shooter or as a three and D per se of that shot blocking. But you can bring guys like Maxi Cleaver. You can bring guys like Dwight Powell and you're not going to necessarily lose size if you sub him out for Dorian Finney-Smith or even for Reggie Bullock in that matter. And I really like what the Mavericks were able to do and what they're able to you know, kind of pinpoint around Luka Doncic who was just absolutely dominating on the offensive end and it's rebounding really well too he's always been a great rebounder but if he if they're going to run these smaller lineups they're going to have to get five crashing on the boards and Luka Doncic grabbing 11 boards against his Warriors team it's it's kind of an incredible adjustment that they're making on the fly and they're going to be a matchup nightmare for a lot of teams in the Western Conference you obviously saw last year what they were able to do able to do against the Clippers how Luka essentially almost brought them back from a 3-1 deficit but I'm very interested to see what they're able to do in a first-round matchup. Because right now, they're going to be matched up against uh, the Denver Nuggets uh, in a 4-5 matchup. And, you know, they're rooming to get back Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. So that'd be great from a basketball perspective. But if they can make that out and, you know, we could potentially see a Phoenix Suns-Dallas Mavericks matchup in the second round, hell, I would pay a lot of money to see that. That'd be a great lineup to watch. And the Warriors... 
Warriors are going through a little bit of a funk right now. They got a little bit of the injury bug. Draymond obviously has been out. And Steph Curry is incredible, as we know. Draymond is the key to this team. Draymond Green makes this team go on the defensive end. He's one of the best defensive players of all time. That's no argument right there. So he needs to come back. He needs to come back soon. They need to start getting in their rhythm when it comes to the offensive and defensive end and just start heading into the postseason because that's where they're at right now. There's only 20-something games left in the regular season. And with Klay Thompson obviously not playing in back-to-backs and just slowly easing him into the offense, you're relying on a lot of players like Moses Moody. You're relying on Jonathan Kaminka, you know, Nemanja Bialica, even guys like Otto Porter to step up on the defensive end. And that's just not where you're going to be if you want to be a championship contender. You need Draymond Green playing 30-plus minutes per game in the playoffs in order to make that championship run. And you need to get his feedback under him and get him back in rhythm. And if you don't get him in rhythm, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough for them to even you know make it out of the first round. This is a very, very talented team. But that upper echelon of the Western Conference is stacked. I'm scared of the Grizzlies. I'm scared of the Phoenix Suns. And yes, I am technically scared of the Warriors, but they have the probably the, the lowest floor because of their injury bug. You know, if they I don't know necessarily how much I believe in Andrew Wiggins to be able to step up and be this number two on the offensive end behind Steph. I think they need a lot of Clay Thompson. They need a lot of Draymond Green, as well as a lot from Jordan Poole. And and there's just a lot of hot and cold offensive players right there. And I just don't necessarily know if we can rely on that for the long stretch of a playoff run if Draymond Green and Clay aren't healthy. Next, this was a very shocking stat line. The New Orleans Pelicans beat the Los Angeles Lakers 123-95. to I know the Lakers didn't have Anthony Davis, but damn. I mean, the Pelicans don't have Zion. It's not like the Pelicans are world beaters. This was, this was sad to watch. This is a really sad game to watch because the entire Lakers team just looked completely uninterested and just did not look good enough. I mean, you saw the entire Staples Center, I guess, the Crypto.com Arena is just chirping the Lakers. I mean, Melo's barking back. Russ is barking back. LeBron's barking back at fans and arguing, like, do you know who I am? Do you play basketball? All this stuff. And it's like, they're just, they're not good. They're not a good team. Kyle Kuzma's chirping on Twitter saying, like, the Lakers fans are different, man. Purple and gold. You're on the spotlight. He knows what it was like to be the scapegoat, the scapegoat in Los Angeles. He knows what it's like to have the pressure on him. And now you have guys just underperforming. The Lakers are not where they should be. They're not at all where they thought they would be right now. They're a barely a playing team. And if this team even potentially gets out of the playing round and beats a team like the Clippers or the Minnesota Timberwolves for that eight spot, they're getting dogged in the first round. Anthony Davis or no Anthony Davis. This team is getting ran out of town in the first round. No questions asked. How can anybody who watches basketball full-time and has a passion for the game is going to tell me that this Lakers team is going to make a championship run? Get the fuck out of here. Not a chance in hell. I love LeBron. I like Anthony Davis. But this team is just not good enough in any way, shape, and form, to make an actual playoff run. they got to blow it up and figure out what the hell they can do to make change in the offseason because at the rate that they're going and the rate this roster looks, they're going to have to make some crazy changes to even remotely have a chance at competing next year. As for the Pelicans, no Zion. There's a lot of questions going on there. I get it. CJ McCollum, man, 
C.G. McComb, I've been a big fan of his. I think he's obviously been played out of position at the two guard, playing with Dame Lillard for a very long time. He has a lot of talent. Since he's come over and taken over the true point guard role and Devontae Graham has moved to the bench, the dude's averaging 26, 6, and 6. And that offensive pairing with him and Brandon Ingram, I know Zion's not here. I know that maybe he's not coming back. We have no idea what that looks like. They didn't put him in the season tickets. They The announcement, nothing. There has been no word. He didn't even text CJ when he got traded. That, who cares? CJ McCollum looks like a great starting point guard. He looks tremendous in this offensive flow. They're pairing him with guys like Jackson Hayes, with guys like Herb Jones and Yotis Valanciunas. That's three very good defenders to help ease the pressure off CJ McCollum, where he's actually guarding point guards. He's no longer guarding bigger wings. He's not guarding bigger shooting guards. He's guarding players that are his size, and he's keeping up with them. He's not gonna. He's never gonna be a good to a great defender. But if he can actually keep up with these guys and force them, you know, Brandon Ingram is now currently playing the two guard. He's six foot eight. You now have tremendous size surrounding him. And Herb Jones is an elite defender right now at such a young age. You are giving everything you can for this roster to fit for the long term. I'm interested to see what it looks like when Zion comes back. Obviously, you drop Jackson Hayes to the bench, or you trade Jonas Valanciunas and you start Jackson Hayes at center. There's a lot of options and a lot of wiggle room, but the the ceiling raises a lot higher with Zion in the building. But until they figure out what the hell's going on with Zion, this team is just the New Orleans Pelicans. They might be a playing team. They might make it to the eighth seed. Hell, they might bump out the Lakers. Clearly, you saw this performance. I'd sure as hell rather watch the Pelicans than I watch the Lakers right now. But at least they have an idea. They have some kind of identity of what they're doing. So the Pelicans can figure out what the absolute hell is going on with Zion. They might make some noise. A team that everybody in the NBA should be talking about is the Boston Celtics. They are absolutely red hot. Not only are they 10-2 in their last 12 games, they're 36-27 and 27 overall, which is good for the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. Now I know the sixth season isn't necessarily the most impressive thing, but with you look how stacked the Eastern Conference is right now, they're only five games back of the top seed or three games back of the number two seed, which is pretty damn impressive. So if they keep this role going, they could make some noise and push for a top four seed for home court advantage in the Eastern Conference. And you really want to stay away from that playing tournament because you got teams like the Toronto Raptors and the Brooklyn Nets currently sitting at seven and eight. So this is a stacked Eastern Conference. So you want to stay the hell away from there. The thing that makes the Boston Celtics super impressive right now is their defense. They're actually averaging the highest difference in point per Point differential in the entire Eastern Conference at 5.8 points. But their defense, their versatility is absolutely incredible. By them trading away Dennis Schroeder and bringing in a player like Derek White, when they made all these moves, they got so much flexibility and they made a slight adjustment to their starting lineup. They moved Marcus Smart to the point guard full-time and they actually dropped down. They moved Jalen Brown to the two guard, Jason Tatum to the three, Al Horford to the four, and Rob Williams to the five. They have so much flexibility, and there really isn't a bad defender in their starting lineup. Jason Tatum is probably their worst defender, but he has stepped up so much on the defensive end. He is now doing very well guarding small players and guarding wings at the three position. Jalen Brown is an all-NBA talented defender at the two. Marcus Smart is already an all-NBA defender. And Rob Williams, holy shit. What a diamond in the rough. They signed him this offseason to a four-year, $44 million contract, and that looks like an absolute fucking steal. He can do anything on the offensive end. He has had some outrageous stat lines this year of a 10-10-10, triple-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. He has blocked a shit ton of shots. He steals the ball. He's averaging 2.2 blocks and 1.3 steals per game. He can guard forwards. He can guard centers. He can do anything. But by pairing him with Al Horford, you're maximizing Al Horford's strengths, and that's his defensive IQ. 
he is in the right position every single time on the defensive end. He is the quarterback of the defense. He is not the same player that he used to be back when he was at Atlanta or even in his first year with the Boston Celtics. But now that he's back, when you watch him, he's hovering the paint. He's letting Rob Williams be the point of emphasis on the defense, letting him attack, letting him go out to the wing and pressure those players. You'll have Rob Williams go out and pressure a guy like Kevin Durant on the wing while Al Horford can stay back. Al Horford will play the anchor role on a guy like Bobby Portis, on a guy like Giannis, while Rob Williams is playing the point of attack. And the way that they're going right now, currently they have a top five defense in the entire NBA from how they were from a middle-of-the-pack team when Ami Udoka has made these and pushed the buttons and done it all the right way. I'm very interested to see what it looks like. And also grabbing Derek White and moving Grant Williams to the bench, you have a great sixth and seventh man. There's not a lot of players or teams in the NBA that can say that they can bring those two talented guys off the bench right away. Peyton Pritchard, say what you want about him. He's at least a spark plug. And if you can bring him you know, 10 to 15 minutes per game, I know in the playoffs it's a little bit different, but he's a microwave scorer. He can get you six to 10 points a game, and that's really all you need. And he's surrounded by great defense. Yeah, he's a little undersized at six foot one, but he can go out there and get you some points, and that's really all you're asking for. And you have another big guy, Daniel Tice, off the bench, who can go out there and be physical as well if you need some more size when you're playing teams like the Philadelphia 76ers who are going to throw out Joel Embiid for 35-plus minutes in the playoffs, and that's going to be a physical battle. And mostly they're going to get to the free throw line a shit ton of times. So for the Boston Celtics, the question is, what's the ceiling? Like, where does this team go? Because like we said, the Eastern Conference is stacked. And I think for them to really make it out of the first round, it's going to be matchup dependent. Right now, I'm terrified for the Boston Celtics because they're matching up against the Philadelphia 76ers. And that may be the worst matchup physically for them because of Joel Embiid's stature. And I think that you have the physical capabilities to handle a player like James Harden at the point of attack with Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, and even a player like Derek White who can try and handle him for you know a few minutes while those other two are getting rest. But the biggest thing is going to be Joel Embiid. And Al Horford has the physical size to do it. Robert Williams has some strength to do it. But it's just so damn hard to guard Joel Embiid. You just can't stop him. You have to try and slow him down. And now that you have James Harden on this roster, just this surrounding of shooting on this team, you're really going to have to force the ball out of Joel Embiid and James Harden's hands. And you have to force Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris to beat you. And that's going to be the emphasis here. And I think that in the first round, I'm going to bank on them doing it. And I think the Sixers would beat the Celtics in a first-round series. I think the Celtics would beat the Chicago Bulls. I think that right now with the current construction, they could beat the Nets with all the injuries they have going on. I think that's a tough matchup for them. And I even a team like the Miami Heat, Miami Heat are incredible, but that would be just a great defensive matchup as well. But the 76ers are the this NBA's wild card, and I think it's going to be tough. But the ceiling is, if they can get past the 76ers in the first round, there's not a team in the NBA that can beat the Boston Celtics. If we're talking pure ceiling, you are surrounding, for the first time, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who are two elite offensive hubs. Those two can get you 25 to 30 every single game, no problem. And now you're surrounding them with elite defense. You're giving them the keys. And if they can go out there and get you 60 points combined every single game while playing elite defense with them and around them, there is not a single team in the NBA that can do that and put up that kind of star power with the surrounding defense around them. Yes, you have offensive hubs like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but they do not have the defense that the Boston Celtics have. The Miami Heat have an elite defense, but they don't have the offensive firepower. Yes, Jimmy Butler is great, but 
Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, and Kyle Lowry are not putting up the same offense Tatum and Jalen Brown put up in just the two of them. So for the Boston Celtics, they're a huge X factor in this offseason. And if they can make some noise and really figure out what their offensive control is getting into this postseason and really honestly avoiding the Philadelphia 76ers at any chance they can, because I think that's their kryptonite right now. If they can do that, Boston Celtics have a chance to be a dark horse NBA champion contender. The poor New York Knicks. New York Knicks came into this season with a massive expectation after a number four seed from last year, and it has come crumbling down. Injuries and lower expectations. They're currently sitting at 25 and 36, which is good for 12th in the Eastern Conference. Now they are on a massive cold streak at 2 and 12 in the last 14 games, but they at least are starting to identify who the hell they are. And that's a massive youth movement. Derrick Rose just got another ankle injury, and he is most likely out for the entire year. Kemba Walker and the Knicks have agreed that it is best for Kemba to sit out the rest of the season as he prepares to get his body right for the rest of next season. Now, we are entering full-blown youth movement territory, and I've said in the past, the Knicks have a tremendous young core. I love R.J. Barrett. I like quickly. You have guys like Quinn Grimes. They traded for Cam, Cam Reddish. Obi Toppin's there. You know, it's just figuring out who is going to be a part of this next regime? Now, the question is, how do they do that? Tom Thibodeau, everywhere he's been, wants to play veterans and wants to win. He has traded a lot of young players in order to bring in offensive, defensive-minded veterans. Is he the coach to lead this team next year or the year after? In my opinion, the answer is absolutely not. They need to bring in a young, offensive-minded coach who can get the best out of this team. I think there's a lot of defensive potential on this roster. I love what R.J. Barrett has been able to do right now. Playing him with a two-guard, I think, is perfect. And pairing him with a potential point guard like Emmanuel Quickly. And moving Cam Reddish. You have great size right there. Barrett and Reddish proved that they can play together at the college level. Yes, this is the NBA, but they have so much talent. You have to give them a chance. They have so much pedigree in this lineup. The biggest question is going to be Julius Randle. What the hell do you do with Julius Randle? Do you try and sell? Do you try and build around him? Do you try and keep him? I have absolutely no idea because last year is looking like a massive, massive, you know, fluke. I hate to say that because he was so talented. He was a second-team All-NBA, but he has just looked like a shell of what that was and what he was able to do as that offensive player and being that offensive hub. He's a great role player, and I think if you put him as a number two or even a number three option on a championship-level contender, that's a great, great player. But as the number one option, I mean, man, he's just come back down to earth. He's not that guy. His efficiency is down tremendously. He's turning the ball over. He just looks sluggish. He's not playing defense. He looks like a fish out of water. Kind of very similar to what I'm, what I've seen from Tobias Harris with his new role at the number four. To, you know, Julius Randle is the number one option. Just isn't it? And I think you have to start giving the keys over to R.J. Barrett. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you have so many players that need playing time and need development. Julius Randle is starting to show he is what he is. And if he's not going to be that guy and you just gave him this massive extension, if you can find a team that maybe believes Julius Randle is the missing piece for their team, that could be a huge boost for you. And you have a player like Obi Toppin. He's 23 and he'll be 24 in a couple days, but he still has offensive promise. He's a massive athlete. He's only averaging 15 minutes per game. 
if you can give him an opportunity to maybe play 25 minutes per game and maybe be more of an offensive hub, he's starting to shoot the ball a little bit more. It's only shooting at 1.7 times per game from the three-point line. But if you give him that chance to extend his range and start to get a little bit of offensive momentum going, you have your center of the future of Mitchell Robinson. And if you don't like him, you drafted a guy in the first round of Jericho Sims. He's there as well. You have these veterans that are starting to lose playing time in Taj Gibson and Nerlens Noel, but they're there if you need them. You just need to figure out who is a part of this next regime. You're going to get a top 10 pick in this year's NBA draft, which you'll use to your advantage. This is a great NBA draft class, and it's going to start looking like you're taking best talent available. I don't necessarily believe that Emmanuel quickly is a starting point guard of the future. I think I see him much more like a Jordan Clarkson, like a Lou Williams spark plug off the bench, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think he can be a tremendous NBA player for a long time. But to be a starting point guard in the NBA, you need a lot more than just being a high-profile scorer. And I think for Emmanuel quickly, his IQ just isn't there long-term, and he needs to figure out what's going on. But RJ Barrett needs to be the future. You traded for Cam Reddish. Figure out what you have, man. Figure out what's going on with this roster and I think it starts with the coach. You look around the league, and you have to find the initiative to make the change. This is going to be a massive offseason for the New York Knicks, and they have to hit on head coach. That's going to be the biggest thing. They need to get out of every bad contract they have, get Alec Burks out, get Evan Fournier out, get Nerlens Noel out, get Taj Gibson out. Build from the youth, build from the ground up, and get this next generation of New York Knicks talent up and running. Look at what the Cleveland Cavaliers did. They kept one or two veterans, and they built around this young core, and they are now ready to make championship runs for years to come. That's where they have to go. Find a coach that you can rely on, because Tom Thibodeau just is not it. The Eastern Conference is absolutely stacked. As we've talked about, we're going to see a lot of playoff contention, getting ready for seeding, and really seeing where these guys are going to land. There's only 20 games left in the rest of the regular season, so we are in for a great Great ride as NBA fans, so stay tuned. Like I said, this has been episode 22 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. I appreciate you guys coming by, giving us a listen. If you enjoy it, check us out on YouTube, TikTok, as well as Instagram. Let us know what you guys want to hear, and we'll see you guys next time.